David attempts to bring the ark into the new capital city of Israel. But God strikes out at a disobedient priest. On The Bible Brief. Today is review day on The Bible Brief. If you haven't left us a five-star review on your podcast player, will you do that today? Reviews are a key way that new people find out about the show. It's easy for us to forget about the holiness of God, especially because we see so many examples of His mercy and grace throughout the Bible. We see Him put up with the complaining of the Israelites in the wilderness. He puts up with the false worship of the idols and the Baals by the people, the disobedience of the Israelites in not fully conquering the land, and on and on it goes. God could have, at any point, chosen to destroy this nation that He had saved. Instead of destroying it, however, we saw the period of Judges, where despite the people turning away from him over and over again, he yet answered their calls in their distress and saved them through the Judges. God's love for his people and his mercy toward their plight is shown as a repetitive theme throughout the Bible. Focus on this theme in isolation, however, is what can make us forget about God's holiness, his utter differentness from humans, his dwelling in unapproachable light and righteousness. It can be easy for us to think that God's holiness is in opposition to his love. Since holiness is to be set apart from other things, and love is at least some measure of intimacy, we can be puzzled to understand Yahweh as both holy and loving. Yet God himself gives us a picture in the Bible of how these two attributes are mingled in his personality. The picture is the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle was the tent that God commanded the Israelites to make while they were at the foot of Mount Sinai. It was a tent which God filled with His presence so that He would be with His people while still maintaining the boundaries of His holiness apart from the unrighteous Israelites. He would dwell among them, and yet He would be distinct from them. He would be with them in the solidarity of love and leadership, yet He would be holy in the midst of the camp. The tabernacle is a beautiful picture of the love of God and His holiness. Now in the midst of the tabernacle tent was the holiest place, the Holy of Holies. And there in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. It was a wooden box overlaid with gold and with gold representations of cherubim angels on top. The box held a few items, including the tablets of the Ten Commandments. But more important than the inside of the box was the top. There on top of the box, between the two angels, at the tips of their wings, was where God made his presence dwell on the earth. No longer was he present in the thunder and lightnings atop Mount Sinai. Instead, he was atop the ark, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle tent, in the midst of his people Israel. Love and holiness manifested among mankind. A new peace permeated the nation following the deaths of Abner and Ishbosheth, the king of Israel in the north. Peace from unification under their new great king, King David, anointed by God. We read this in 1 Samuel chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, 
you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was thirty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned forty years. David is finally crowned king by the twelve tribes of Israel, and he would reign over the nation for the next thirty-three years. His early years had been filled with action. He had defeated Goliath, led Saul's army in battles, led music in Saul's house, escaped death by Saul's spear, and hidden from him as a fugitive, before ultimately mourning Saul and his son Jonathan as they died in battle. This was all before the age of 30 when he was anointed king over his tribe, and then 37 when he was crowned over the whole nation. But rather than resting from his exciting life, he continues to get to work. Canaan still needed to be conquered, just as Joshua had started over 350 years prior. The first place that David went was a city in Judah, a city inhabited by Jebusites, a city that will shape the rest of the Bible to the very last page. King David and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Jerusalem had a reputation as an impenetrable city. It sat atop a hill surrounded by valleys on three sides, and the Jebusites were convinced that even the lame and the blind could fight off any potential aggressor. David, however, takes advantage of their pride. He instructs his men to do a difficult climb up the city's water shaft in order to penetrate the city from within, and soon his forces seize the city. We read, David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater, for Yahweh, the God of armies, was with him. His kingship had started with a bang. The city of Jerusalem was taken from the inhabitants of the land, and the capital of Israel moved into its new eternal capital, Jerusalem the most historic, consequential city on the face of planet Earth. This swift beginning to his reign didn't go unnoticed, however. Soon the Philistines heard of it and came up against David in a valley outside of Jerusalem. David, as if channeling his inner Joshua, asks God, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. It's worth noting here that David ascribes the victory not to his own sword, but to God. He identifies God as the one who breaks through his enemies. In this way, David is a king not like the other nations who goes before them in battle. Rather, Yahweh is shown to be the king who leads the nation in victory. Funny enough, the Philistines apparently hadn't had enough defeat, so they regroup and come back to the same valley against David's forces. Yet again, David asks if he should go up against the Philistines, but Yahweh answers a little differently this time. He says, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. 
Yet again we see the Lord as the one going out before the army of Israel in battle. It's as if with David's kingdom that we're seeing a restoration of God's blessing upon Israel. With a king who honors God, with a people who honor God like their king, God blesses the nation with victory and success, just as Moses had said. Remember, he had said that faithfulness to God would bring blessings to Israel in the land, but disobedience would bring curses upon them. Through David's leadership, now was a time for blessing. Now, outside of the blessings and curses, Moses had overseen the construction of that Ark of the Covenant, and this vessel re-enters the story in the midst of these national blessings. Now, this Ark had seen many days since it was constructed hundreds of years prior. It had traveled with the Israelites through the wilderness. It had been carried on its poles by the Levite priests into the midst of the Jordan River so that the people crossed into Canaan on dry ground. The Ark had been separated from the tabernacle. It had gone into the possession of the Philistines, and it had stayed even in private residences. But with David on the throne of Israel, the tabernacle would find its home in a new place, a new city, Jerusalem, the city of God. After the defeat of the Philistines, David turned his attention to the ark. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Bala Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of Yahweh of armies, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. David is bringing the center of the formal worship of God to the city of the government of God's people. He's uniting the kingship and the priesthood in a single city. You can imagine the triumphal procession as they approach Jerusalem. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. It was as if the air had been sucked out of the room. The procession of songs and tambourines and dancing was interrupted with sudden death. One of the two men guiding the ark touches the ark in order to steady it on the cart, and the man Uzzah drops dead beside the ark. Here we see something so important to our understanding of God that if we miss it, we misunderstand God. Even in the midst of blessing His people, God is holy, and God's holiness will not be reduced even in the middle of celebration. God had instructed not that the ark be pulled by a cart on oxen, but that it be carried on poles by men. This would keep the men from touching the ark, it would elevate the ark above the terrain, and it would keep things like this from happening. The ark was to be touched only by the blood of animals at the annual sacrifice performed alone by the high priest. God's holiness demanded obedience, and Uzzah, despite his intentions, violated direct commands from God concerning the ark. God is with His people in love, but His love does not vacate His holiness and righteousness. God may be among His people, but the ark shows that He's not one of them. He's set apart. He's holy. The people of Israel learned a lesson that day that they'd perhaps forgotten.
After this event, David is suddenly reticent to bring the Ark into the city. He's afraid that something similar might happen, so he actually has the Ark placed in another private home for about three months. Soon, however, seeing the blessing with which God blessed the household, he's convinced to bring it into the new capital city. We read this in chapter 6, verse 12. And it was told to King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who lifted the Ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. David finally brings the ark into its tent in Jerusalem, and celebration accompanies the procession. But the celebration is of a new character. This time the ark is being carried on poles as commanded. Animal sacrifices are performed every six steps, and the sounds of horns and shouting fill the city's streets. The people are celebrating Yahweh. They know the steadfast love that God has shown the people for generations. They've seen with their own eyes that the Lord fights for them in battle. And because of the mistake of Uzzah, they now have even more knowledge of God. Yahweh is a God of amazing love, yet He's also a God of holiness and righteousness, demanding obedience from His people. Blessing comes to the people when they obey their holy God. And what an example David is to Israel. A king who dances before the Lord to honor him. A king who humbles himself to celebrate the true king. A king who will receive one of the greatest gifts that Yahweh will ever bestow. Join us next time as David tries to build God a house, but Yahweh gives him a house of his own. A house that will never end. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023